if you feel like you've done everything you can and you've prepared yourself and it doesn't turn out out it's a learning experience you take something from it you learn from it you move on and that's what it is everyone, Emily Abadi here coming to you live from the AG studio and you are listening to Hurdle, a wellness focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and of course have some fun along the way. This week, I am chatting with Jordan Larson. She's a professional volleyball player and three-time Olympic medalist, including a gold from this year's games in Tokyo. For episode 179, she gives me the rundown of how she got here, growing up in a super small town guided by both of her parents to pursue and love sport. Jordan talks to me about going overseas for volleyball, playing in Puerto Rico and Russia, Turkey and China, and what it was like for her to land on her first Olympic team. We also talk about the hurdles she's faced along the way, including divorce and in navigating all that international travel, dealing with loneliness and learning how to be comfortable spending more time by herself while pursuing her passions. We also chat about what's next and she actually takes over the interviewing role for a little bit and asks me a few questions, which isn't something that happens all the time. A huge thank you to Jordan for her time. I had a blast recording this and after this conversation, and we'll talk about this, I may just need to get myself an English Bulldog. Anyway, before we get to it today, I do want to say a huge, huge, huge thank you. I can't say huge enough to all of the hurdlers that came out in Chicago. It was so just, I mean, indescribable, amazing. These adjectives, they don't feel big enough to get to see some of you IRL. Also, a massive, massive congrats to everyone that crushed the Chicago Marathon over the weekend. I was so, so happy to be a part of it and so happy to cheer you on as you conquered another hurdle. Make sure you're following along with the show over at Hurdle Podcast. I'm over at Emily Abadi. And if you have yet to get in on Hurdle's new SMS texting subscription, I would love for you to be a part of the action. You will get by subscribing a lot of the things that you love from the show, including regular motivation, exclusive deals, and so much more. So to get in on that, text the word welcome to 732HURDLER. Again, that is texting the word welcome to 732HURDLER. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Jordan Larson. She is a three-time Olympian, a relatively new gold medal to add to the stack, a pro volleyball player. How are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sitting down with me. I don't know what to congratulate you on first, whether it's (laughs) getting married recently or this new shiny gold medal. I know it's, it's been a surreal month and, um, I don't know if I've come down yet. I have still been this like brain fog. I'm like, what is going on? What's happening? And 
Yeah, it's been just so surreal. So fun. Congratulations on all of these awesome, awesome milestones for you. Not to mention also, we have to highlight, although the hurdlers who are listening to this cannot see Spud, but Spud, yeah. the three-year-old <laughs> English bulldog coming in and out of my view is yeah. really making this day astronomically better. Absolutely. He, he's a, he's a special one, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> he's a special one. Well, thanks again for your time today. I'm so excited yeah. to get to learn a little bit more about you. Uh, and like I said, coming down off of a major win in Tokyo, you know, it's interesting, right? Because they always say that there is like that letdown factor or like the post wedding blues. And not only are you maybe dealing with those, but you're also dealing with coming back and not thinking, okay, Olympics are coming, Olympics are coming, or Olympics are coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, uh, unique situation and I'm, I'm playing pro next. So like I have something to kind of look forward to, but I still don't know when I'm leaving, what's going on. Like I'm just in this like weird space. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a weird, weird, weird space to be in. I, I don't know how to like even describe it. <laughs> how do you, uh, how do you navigate kind of the mental side of things that comes with this, perhaps I would say a little bit of like uncertainty at the moment. Yeah. Um, I just try to be as present as I can. And I'm lucky enough that I have a lot of like, my husband's a head coach. Um, I have a lot of like sports psych friends. So like having conversations with them of just trying to stay as present as I can really focus on how to, I keep my body healthy still. And, and that's just my biggest motivation at the, at the moment. And, uh, I am dealing with like a little bit of a Achilles thing. So trying to get that figured out. So, uh, but I think just really honing in on being present and, and, um, yeah, here as much as I can. We'll touch back on the Achilles thing and maybe a little bit of injury a little bit later, but where I'd love to, uh, to lead us off here really is going back to your beginnings. You grew up in a really small town. Yeah. Like really, really small town. Like <laughs> I think that when I looked up the people. population, it was like under a thousand people. Yes. Yes. Very much under, under a thousand. And yeah, everybody knew everything, knew what car you drove, who your family was, where you lived. Yeah. It was, uh unique, unique, especially now living in LA. It's like, I, I like can't imagine, like, I'm just like, how did I grow up there? So <laughs> if you guys have to think about maybe one of the, the biggest takeaways that you had walking away from that kind of small town upbringing, where would you even begin? I, that's a good question. I, wow. I don't know if I've ever actually thought about that. I think the slowness of life, you know, like they didn't, it wasn't a rush to get places. It was just like very much like present and like, Hey, in this moment, what we're trying to do and really getting to know people. I think, you know, having patience and everybody's different in our hometown even, and just having some grace and, and patience in that. And so, but yeah, that, that's a really good question. That probably came in that outlook or that perspective a little bit uh, handy over the last, you know, 16, 18 months when we were being forced to slow down a little bit, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, the pandemic has been, yeah, amazing. I, I haven't slowed down that much since, like you said, since that time that I was living in a small town because I had just been on the go and trying to, you know, reach my dreams and my goals. And uh, yeah, definitely, it definitely paid off during that time. So bring us back to uh, Cooper, Nebraska, and talk to me a little bit about what going to school, getting involved in sport looked like for you from a young age? 
Yeah, yeah. My uh, both my parents were athletes, so my dad actually played Division two college uh, college football, um, and then my mom played in high school a little bit, but um, probably could have continued to play basketball um, in college somewhere, but just chose not to. And so they were very much sport oriented. They understood that being in sport like allowed um, for a lot of learning opportunities, and so I, um, yeah, they just kind of threw me into a lot of different things, and I really got a taste of what I really wanted to do. I tried soccer, I was in softball, I played basketball, I ran track, and so I think having a mixture of doing all that allowed me to really fall in love with the sport of volleyball and, and that space to feel fresh and like renewed every time I came back to it. Did you feel as though there was some sort of an expectation put on you by having two athletic parents that this was something that you were definitely going to get into? Like, was there an artsy side of you or were you like sports period? That's it. Yeah. Sports period. That's it. (laughs) I I definitely, my mom got, she had a little more creative, creative side, but I definitely did not get any of that. And I was, uh, so my parents got divorced when I was pretty young. And so my dad lived on the farm and my mom lived in town. And so I kind of got the best of both worlds, but being on the farm, you know, you're out outside, you're dealing with animals, you're, I mean, I didn't deal so much with them like one-on-one, but yeah, you're outside a lot, you're working. Um, and so I just, I feel like I got really the best, but it was mainly just sports and I was, I was all in, I just wanted to play all the time. And, um, but I don't think expectations, I don't think I knew how good my parents were or like there wasn't any talk about it, you know? So I just was wanting to be the best that I could be. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's really special though, to, to start getting involved in sport and have, uh, two individuals in your life that knew the perhaps mental tolls it could take the physical tolls that it could take and really understand where you were going in your journey. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I felt like every, every turn of like, or a decision that I had to make of like, Hey, do I go hang out with friends or do I go to this, you know, speed and agility class? If it was always something that was going to better myself or, you know, put me in a position to reach one of my goals, they were, they would kind of like navigate me towards that decision versus, you know, maybe, you know, sacrificing time with friends. And so I, I very much appreciated that. Uh, definitely at the time it was hard because all I wanted to do was hang out with my friends, you know, but um, now looking back, I'm like, thank goodness I made that decision because I wouldn't be sitting here today for sure. What age or like at what point do you remember having to start making these kinds of difficult decisions? Because most kids, I mean, it would be a no brainer, right? You said you like, I wanted to have the fun. So where do you remember having to make these calls? Um, I remember really at the age of 12, we could like starting because I started playing club volleyball at that time and my parents it's such a financial commitment on their end and I wasn't able to have another job and so they're like hey if we do this now when we do this there's going to be sacrifices that come along with it and so with that I think since that point and on like I I remember little decisions along the way um, that really had to start kind of changing and shifting but I, I probably wouldn't say there wasn't any major decisions probably until I was like 14 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that that initial time was like, Hey, we're going to make this commitment as a family. It's hard on us. And, and we need you kind of all in because if we're not going to do this, if, if you're not willing to put in the time. Wow. I mean, you're 34 now. Yeah. Jordan, this is like 22 years of volleyball. I know it's insane. 
and we were ta- I was just practicing with one of my students this morning and she's like, what do you think of athletes that have burnout? And I'm just like, I, I don't, I never, of course there was times in my career that I w- di- didn't want to go to practice or wanted to quit, you know, but my parents really encouraged me to like, okay, you committed to like the beginning of the season, stay till the end and see how you feel and, you know, take some time away from it and then decide, you know, don't make a rash decision. Like, Hey, it's over. So I, I don't know, it's this this term of burnout. It's like, uh, I have a hard time understanding or relating because I never, I just, I wanted something so bad that I, I was willing to put in the time and, and, str- and struggle through those moments when I didn't want to do it because everybody goes through that. I mean, the other day I was like, I don't want to work out today, but here we are, you know, and I feel so much better when I do it. So, but it's so interesting. That, I mean, this whole perspective is so interesting to me because I feel as though I don't know anyone who hasn't struggled with burnout and you even just now kind of insinuated that you may have struggled with it, but succumbing to it never really felt like an option. And it seems as though this was just like instilled in you, right? Like I love the approach. Well, let's just you know, make it our goal to get to this point and then we'll reevaluate instead of making that really quick, like perhaps hot headed decision. Do you feel as that you use that kind of strategy when it comes to other decisions or important things in your life? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's so funny. I, I signed a contract in China after playing in, in Turkey for five years. And my first day in China, I like my dad travels with me and it's, you know, it's something new, but I, at this point I'm 31 years old, right? Like I've been doing this for a long time, but it's a new location. I, at first day I'm like going to my dad bawling. Cause I'm like, what am I doing here? Why did I make this decision? You know, but I was like ready to fly home the next day. And my, of course, Mal, my dad, my, my career, he's like, let's go, let's go on the plane. Let's go home. And I talked to my husband and I'm, and he's like, just give it some time. Like you'll figure it out. Like, you'll, cause my biggest concern was like finding a grocery store. I was so used to everything in Turkey that everything was so new that I was just like, but I gave it some time and I was able to figure it out. And like, I come out always on the better end of it. You know, like there hasn't been, like you said, a decision that I I've made that I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. You know, like I've always made it and like got through with it. So, uh, yeah, I think that has really carried over for me. It was like, Hey, it may not be the time that you like it right now, but on the other end, you're going to be so much better because you stuck through it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 12 to 14, we're starting to really take playing volleyball really seriously. Talk to me about, uh, the decision to play in college. Yeah. So kind of at the age of 12, I sat down with my parents and I set three goals and I said, Hey, I want to play varsity in high school. I want to play in college and I want to be an Olympian, uh, which is crazy. I know. And like, I didn't know what that meant or what I was going to take to get there. But my, like I said, my parents kind of helped me along the way. And, um, I was lucky enough to play club and that really helped me transition into college and something that I really wanted to do. And then, uh, obviously Nebraska volleyball is, is very well known across the United States and it was an hour from my house. So it was a pretty obvious decision and something that I felt like was going to help me on that third goal of wanting to be and play after college. Talk to me about how you felt transitioning from a town of like 750 people to going to Nebraska. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I know it's so funny. Like, cause at that time it was a big deal and it's so different and, uh, it was hard. Uh, but having my parents so close was 
was so nice and to be able to go home when I wanted. And it's funny, like, I think I went home like the first two weekends in college and then maybe once a year after that, you know, it was just, it's so funny how, uh, that happens. But, uh, yeah, I, I was just so excited to be there and so excited to learn and, um, just be a part of a great team. When you say that it was hard, what would you say about it was hard? I think just a new environment, learning to be around other people and, how how can I focus on being an athlete, but then also being a really good student and then also being a really good teammate? And uh, I don't know, it's just a lot of things to juggle. And um, it I think that was one of the hardest things to like and time management, like dealing with all that. What you didn't even include in that list is talking about having like any semblance of a social life. Did you find that at first that was even remotely possible for you or was that kind of just blocked out of your radar? Yeah, it was kind of kind of blocked out of my radar a little bit. I think I was lucky enough to that I liked my teammates. So every time we were even in practice, I really enjoyed that was kind of like my social hour, but we didn't really have time to do a lot, you know, and so and I think I've always been the kind of person that volleyball is so much of my life, which I love and that that social aspect comes with that and that I don't really need a lot outside of it. Like sometimes when I'm done playing, I'm just like, I want to sit at home and like in silence because I'm just, you know, like I just need that time. So to decompress. Well, I yeah. mean, we talked about getting into college and being a little overwhelmed with n- this new beginning. You mentioned more recently in China, feeling overwhelmed and like almost wanting to run away from that new beginning. It seems as though, you know, the unknown is certainly something that can be scary for you with as so many people listening to this podcast can certainly relate. When you think about these circumstances, what would you say has helped you navigate to the other side and get over that hurdle so that you could stick it out and stick with your plan? My parents always encourage me to talk to a third party. So talking to a psychologist, a sports psychologist, but also surrounding yourself with good people, um, I think it's really helped me. I've been very lucky to have like a lot of great coaches, mentors, obviously my family to help me. Um, and psychologists too. I mean, I, I think it, I having someone that doesn't really know your situation, being able to talk to them and give their advice or how they feel, you know, not how they feel, but just listen, I think really has helped me understand who I am and, and how I can be best in that situation. And so, um, I don't know if that answered your question, (laughs) but I feel like that that's, that's what has feel like has helped me the most. Do you have, uh, I'm going to ask you a personal question and I'll be a little vulnerable with you that I, um, my parents are divorced as well. They split up when I was 16 and got divorced when I was 21. And I can hear in the way that you talk about your parents and you say both of them that, um, you have a good relationship with both of them. Yes. Yeah. So, I I mean, I'm curious, like, as you've gone on to chase all of these big dreams, um, kind of how that has maybe like impacted you or followed you in some sort of a way. Yeah, for sure. I think, like you said, being from a divorced family, like it's not easy, right? Like going from household to household constantly. I, but I applaud my parents for doing a great job of co-parenting. And ultimately, I think when you bring, when you have a kid in that situation, you know, having, making sure that they're taken care of. And I never had a, a, ever a doubt in my mind that that was where my parents' priorities were at. And so I'm so grateful for that because even my mom ended up getting remarried. My dad never did, but has had a longtime partner for, for many years. And so, but I always just felt like, Hey, we're here for you and whatever you need from us. Um, now 
I don't have any siblings either. Now, do you have siblings? Like, I have I'm one brother. Child. Okay, and so maybe I don't know if a sibling would have changed that. You know, huh. like that dynamic. I was literally the sole focus, so um, I don't know if if that dynamic could have changed as well. So, totally, yeah. totally. Just curious on my end. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay, so you start playing at Nebraska. Would you say that at this point? you were still passionate and like pretty certain on chasing goal number three of becoming Olympian? Yeah. I, I always wanted to play after college, but I didn't know what, I didn't know what that meant. Like, Oh, I want to be an Olympian, but I didn't understand that there was a process to it. I thought it was just like, Oh, you finish college and like you try out, you know, like I just didn't understand. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I went there was because uh, the coach was, he had been on the national team before and understood, hey, this is what it takes to be at the highest level and we're going to help you get there. And so I think that's, that's why. Talk us through like what that process really looks like, because I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this right now have the same, have the <laughs> same thought process or under the same impression. Yeah. So, uh, at the time, we didn't have a professional league in the States. And we still really don't have like a full professional season or professional league in the States. We have like a really short condensed one. It's only six weeks. But most people, in order to kind of gain more international experience, we have to go overseas and play. So normal circumstances, obviously, the Olympics is every four years. Uh, but the national team meets up every summer. And during the summer, we, the national team plays in between four to five tournaments a, a year. But every one of those tournaments, you're basically making a cut. We train with 24, and then they come down to 12 or 14, depending on the tournament. And that is basically just a cycle through the four years. So we're overseas between eight, six to eight months, and then we're with the national team the rest of the time. Um, and then, yep, again, that just cycles every four years. So you're hoping that in those four years, you're constantly making those 14 person rosters every tournament. And then when it comes to the Olympics, you're hoping to make that final roster. I've had girls start the whole team, like the whole four years and then not make the Olympic roster. So it's very, very interesting for you. Um, I know you've been to three Olympics now. Did you ever have a concern or a worry about not making the roster yourself? You know, I think my first time going to the Olympics, I think I, even though I had been starting, I had been starting pretty much all four years until they actually tell you like, hey, you are part of the 12 going to London, you know, like it doesn't really hit you until that point. And so I think there was a little more concern at that point. But I think in, in Rio and in Tokyo, I had kind of even if I wasn't starting, I think the leadership part, the experience part really kind of, kind of sets you just a, at a little bit higher, not advantage, but, um, it definitely has some weight to it. And so I think, um, there wasn't maybe as much concern as there was that first, that first one. So you mentioned, uh, the importance of going overseas to train, um, especially if you want to excel in the sport, fill us in on, uh, the decision the first time around to go overseas and talk to us about where you went. Yeah. So, um, I actually graduated college early, a uh, semester early. Um, so I graduated in December and then at the time Puerto Rico was kind of like a semi pro season. And so it was only three months long and it was kind of nice because it transitioned right into the national team. So I didn't have to go over like over in Europe. And so I went to Puerto Rico, got a play and then start, went to the national team. And then while I was in Thailand with the national team, we played Russia 
And one of their assistant coaches had noticed me and uh, he wanted me to come to Russia. And so I started and I started going to Russia and um, yeah, it was a unique experience to go there. Uh, the team had just moved up to like the first division. And so um, definitely didn't have like a lot of resources, especially coming from college that Nebraska had. I mean, we chartered everywhere. Like it was high, you know, high level and going from that to like, Russia was definitely a big, big shock, you know, volleyball wise for sure. And culturally as well. It's interesting, right? Because volleyball, obviously team sport, but all of this travel, I would imagine that it could be really lonely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I, uh, to get a little more vulnerable, I was actually married. So I got married right out of college uh, in 2009 uh, to my high or my high school, my college boyfriend at the time. And so he actually tra- he actually traveled with me uh, for the first three seasons while I was overseas. Um, we were married for seven years, but as you can imagine, marriage is tough. And then marriage on top of training with the national team and playing professionally, he was with me all the time. And then apart from me on the national team with me all the time. So it just became really stressful in our marriage. And um, we actually split, uh, gosh, it'll be almost five years, six years now. Um, And so, but I think that I had to learn to be on my own. I I didn't know what it was like. I, I had never really been solely by myself a little bit in college, but I feel like you're still surrounded by so many people that I, I needed to learn how to be me and how does Jordan function without someone, someone there. And it was really like so empowering and I had to learn a lot, but um, yeah, but definitely lonely at times, but I think I've gotten real comfortable just being okay with, with that space and striving in that space. So for you at this time, when you separated from uh, your ex-husband. Do you remember how you kind of pulled yourself out of these dark moments? Because I think that it goes without saying that you, everyone experience experiences those moments when you're, when you're dealing with heartache, even if you know that, you know, it's the right thing for you, right? Like it doesn't, doesn't make it easier that like someone, I don't know, royally messed up or not. It's like when something comes to an end, you have to like mourn that loss. And for you to mourn that loss and also take on the responsibilities that come hand in hand with being a teammate. How was that? Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. Uh, a lot of soul searching, uh, at that point, again, at seeing a psychologist, like I was, I was going to therapy myself and trying to understand, is this right for me? And is this right for us? And trying to search for those answers. I remember journal journaling a lot. I remember at one point, uh, in my journal, I was like, man, I just built a house. Like I was just like, all these things were just went to the Olympic. I mean, it was just like, all these things were great, but why am I still in this? Like, I don't feel like myself. Like, I don't feel like I'm who I am. And I really just spent time journaling and and reading about relationships and how can I be better and and what can I learn as a teammate? How can I be a better teammate? Because I just don't think I was a great teammate because I was so caught up in everything that was going on at home. And that was kind of a long answer, but yeah. Yeah. It's, It's tough. It's not like you said, you're, you are mourning and it, whether it's the right decision or not, it's, it's, it's tough, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, uh, 
what's interesting here, you said that I needed to, to work on getting better at being by myself. And I think so often, like we hear this wisdom, right? It's like, you need to be okay on your own before you can be with somebody else. But a lot of the time I get messages from women. And I mean, I'm a single woman in my mid thirties, uh, who feels very good at this point being alone, but hopes to one day have that life partner so I can get myself a three-year-old French bulldog. Um, (laughs) But basically the, the question is like, well, how do I get good at being on my own? What do you think aside from the journaling and aside from, you know, the psychologist, like how did you get your mindset to a place where you felt more comfortable with that? I think for me, I had to be okay with the thought of not like being alone the rest of my life like can I be alone and be okay and the answer is heck yeah I can I can do a lot of things and I think women today are just so incredibly powerful and like I think it's a beautiful thing to see such strong powerful women standing on their own two feet and not relying on someone else one for their happiness or financial support or whatever it is um that I just and I don't know I just wanted to embrace that side of it so much that, that I wanted someone that came into my life that was also equally as driven in that sense. And that also enhanced that experience, like empowered me to continue to strive to be my best version, because if he's his best version, then we can both be our best versions together. And so, but I think just that, that switch in my mind of like, Hey, but if I don't find anybody like that's okay too. Mm Mm-hmm. I can still have a kid by myself. Like, you know, there, there's yeah. ways to have a family still and do such kick-ass things that like, how cool. Like, I just, I think that is like the coolest thing. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting as well, like touching on this idea of knowing that you have worth as you are just you. I think in society, especially when it comes to to women, like we are just like made to feel as though like on our own, we are not enough, which is so messed up. And yep. you know, more and more women are fighting for equal pay. And now, like you said, we have so much, so many more options when it comes to like having families on our own. Um, and I also think that it goes like without saying that it's so important that you know that like, there's nothing wrong with you if you want to also do these things with other people. It's just yes. that it's important that you find your sense of value as you are just you. For sure. Absolutely. I think you you nailed it on the head. And um, yeah, I, and it's, maybe it's easier for me because I've, I've had a career and I've, you know, been to places and I've seen things and done things that I've wanted to do. And, you know, it's easy for me to say that, you know, but um, yeah, it's hard when, when that's not the space in which you're operating. But I think again, putting people in place in your life, that allow those things to happen for you. So how long were you playing in Russia? Uh, I ended up playing there for five years, okay. which is still crazy to me. I'm like, how? <laughs> like, even after the first year, I was like, uh, but they just kept, they, I mean, they really treated me so well. And the team started like really getting uh, good and pumping uh, more funds into it and like great athletes. So it was, it was a really good experience. Did you struggle with any of like the cultural differences or perhaps like the language barrier? Uh, for sure. Yeah. I think one teammate on my, on that team spoke like decent English, um, <laughs> but there was like zero socializing af- like outside really. It was just cause we just couldn't communicate. It was just like, Hey, I want to talk to you, but like, we're just going to sit here in silence, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it was a lot of like hand signals up, down, you know, like 
I learned a little bit of Russian, like to play, but like as far as like anything else, it was it was tough. So. Wow, I mean, talk about feeling really lonely then. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was. There was times where I was like, meh, and I think that's why I eventually transitioned to going to Turkey because it was it was time to time to change it up. <laughs> so when you went to Turkey, um, what would you say was one of the biggest differences about going over there? Um, I think. I think volleyball was just as high level as it was in Russia at the time. Um, but then also like the whole team spoke English, like our coach spoke in English, like spoke English, all the Turkish girls spoke English. Uh, Istanbul is a little more Westernized than where I was li- living in, uh, in Russia. Um, and so there was just a lot more freedoms that I was able to like kind of move on like by myself if I wanted to go out and do things like that. So um, that was really what was enticing about it we're covering the fact that you've made such massive moves to go after your dream. And for so many listening right now, they may struggle with taking these big leaps of faith, so to speak in your experience uh, and in your experience, you know, what advice would you give to these people who are want to trust their gut, but they just don't know if they have the courage in them. Yeah, no, uh, that's, it's tough. I think, I think for me, what had kept me going for like the longest time and still does is like, I don't want to look back like volleyball is such a short lifespan, right? Like, okay, 20 years, but it's still like, when you think about it in perspective to your entire life, it's such a short time frame, and I didn't want to get to the end of it. I like, I don't want, I didn't want to sit in this chair today talking to you and be like, I wish I would have done this, or I wish I would have done that, or I could have done this, but I uh, chickened out. Like every chance that I've had to like take that step or try something new, I've really, at, at the time I didn't want to, like I said, but I, I did it. And now I can sit here and say like, I literally like have done everything that I could to be here and to be proud of what I've done. And so that in itself, that disappointment or that regret was enough for me to like not hesitate in those times of like kind of iffiness. So I think when it comes to those, like taking a leap, like, like why not? Because if you don't and you look back in your life and be like, Hey, I remember in 2010, I could have done this and I chose not to, like, I, I didn't want to live with that. So that's, that's kind of where I sat. And I think even for me, I think that started from like young with my parents, like, I just didn't want to disappoint them. I think the weight of disappointing my parents, uh, it was like such a motivation for me. And I just wanted to make them proud. And like, obviously, like, they were always beyond proud of me, there was never this like, harshness or, you know, nothing of that sort. But I just I, I didn't want to be that kid that they're like, I don't know, what did you do with your life? You know, I don't know. I just I that was just kept me going. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, Camelback. Now, Camelback's a new sponsor of the show, and to say that I am amped about this partnership would be a major understatement. I just traveled, God, for 12, 14 days, and of course, I brought my favorite Camelback for the ride. It was a lifesaver. Now, I have a couple of go-tos. One of them, the Eddy 32-ounce water bottle, which is made of insulated stainless steel and has a super handy bite valve so that it won't spill and it's leak-proof. I swear by this, usually when I'm on my Peloton bike, I did bring it on my trip and then I also cannot praise 
my horizon tumbler enough, which is ideal for my morning walks to Fort Greene Park, keeping my coffee warm. You know the deal. It is so comfortable to carry around and it's helping me kick my not so stellar habit of buying coffee out a little too often which I all think that we can agree is pretty hard to squash. Anyway, I would love for you to get in on the Camelback game. And of course, they have a discount for you. Get 25% off anything from Camelback Custom by using the code HURDLE25 at checkout. Again, that is 25% off Camelback Custom bottles by heading on over to camelback.com. That's C-A-M-E-L-B-A-K.com slash custom and use the code HURDLE25 at checkout. Also want to give some love to my friends at AG1 from Athletic Greens. Oh my God, I do not know where I would be after the last two weeks of travel without my AG1. AG1 is my nutritional superpower. I feel like it's got everything I need to feel like my best me. It's a greens powder, all in one daily supplement with the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, as well as prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. Made with 75 whole food sourced ingredients, this stuff makes me feel better in my body, even when my diet may not be at its absolute best. You know, Italy, Paris, croissants, carbs. I feel like a walking baguette, but I know that when I start my day with AG1 from Athletic Greens that I am doing something right and I'm giving back to my body. Of course, you know the drill. AG1 from Athletic Greens has a great deal for you. Simply head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash hurdle and get five free travel packs as well as a year's supply of vitamin D absolutely free with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. I feel like the extrinsic motivation had to turn to intrinsic motivation as you got older, right? Because it wasn't as though, you know, you go to an Olympics, you go to two Olympics, like your parents are freaking proud of you, man. Right. So like <laughs> where, where, if you had to try to like pinpoint the point where you stopped being like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this and realized like, no, this is exactly what I want. Like you identified those goals, quote unquote, when you were 12. But like, when did it really shift? Yeah, man, my, my thought is, is like my first year on the national team, I had to relearn every skill, pretty much every skill that has gotten me to that point. So I had to relearn how to pass. I had to relearn how to hit. I had to relearn literally everything. And at that point I was a national champion, had been to three final fours. Like I was like, ah, I'm pretty good. But then to have to literally start over almost and like rebuild everything, I was like, and to become a learner, I always, I think I always was like my mom always talked about be a sponge, like take it all in, like your coach may be crazy, but you got to apply it and try it. And I, I think having to redo all that, like I was like, huh, I feel like I'm, I'm meant to be here. Like I'm meant to be a volleyball player. Like I'm meant to do something big and like, why not continue to sharpen that tool and kind of make it my craft and math, try to master the craft. And still today I'm like, man, I like, I was just shaking balls left and right today in practice. And I'm like, I, I still have so much to learn and so much I want to learn. Why did you have to relearn? Um, so a lot, it's kind of, it gets a little technical, but 
I was learning like with passing, for example, the ball at the international level comes so fast that you don't have time to really move your feet necessarily. Like all you have to do is stick out your arms and let the ball like do it. Like your arms do a lot of the work, but let the ball like reflect off your arms. And like, I was getting the ball more in my midline where we wanted to take it more outside of our body line. And so having to learn how to do that and then like approach efficiently to the ball, um, just really hone down on simplifying the skill versus like making all these movements so complicated. Another technical question. Why is the yeah. ball coming faster to you on an international level than on this level? Yeah. Um, just because the players are bigger, faster, stronger, wow. and hitting the ball harder. So, and again, I was that ignorant person coming out of college, like, eh, I'm pretty good. <laughs> like, you know, like I did all these things like, which are great, but and I didn't understand, like watching, I was like, okay, it looks faster, but like, it doesn't seem that hard. But then when I got in, I was like, oh, I, I get, I get why you need to go overseas and understand and learn and, and read and do all these things because it just, it's a much different game. So where are you when you find out that you made your first Olympic team? Uh, I was at Anaheim, California. And the cool thing about at that time, they like called you into the office. So we trained with, uh, at that point, I want to say it was like 18 that they cut down to 12. And so you come in the office, you sit around, all the coaches are sitting there and yeah, they, that's how it said like, Hey, we just want to congratulate you on, you are part of the 12 going to London. And I was just like, is this real? (laughs) Wow. I can't even imagine the feelings that come hand in hand with like being in that room and like your dream coming coming true in this moment. I also would imagine that it has to be hard to come out of that room and feel so happy and on cloud nine, knowing that there are other women that you care about deeply, this being such a connected team sport that didn't have that same meeting. That is what's tough is because you, you think, you know, who the team is and you think, you know, who's on it. And yeah, like those girls that didn't get to hear that that day and just like the heartbreak they're feeling and how do you as a teammate, like console them, you know? And yeah, it's just, it's a tough space and uh, gives me chills because it's just like, and I, I, again, I don't think at that point in my life, like I was present enough to know and to understand like the impact or like how I could be there for my teammates. Cause I was so just wrapped up in my own eh, that I just like, I, I, I didn't have the capacity and it's, it, I think that's, talk about regret like I think that's one regret that I do have is like being a little more like understanding and compassionate and taking the time to to really dive into those people yeah it's interesting I think maybe more so in the last year than before I started to really understand what can come from listening in that Sometimes when we have these moments and things don't go as planned and we're trying to process it, all we want to do is talk to someone about it. And that conversation isn't necessarily meant for that other individual to provide feedback, but rather hopefully just to hold space. And it seems as though at that time, maybe that was something that you hadn't really focused in on yet either. No, definitely not. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I think, yeah, just creating that space for them to just, even if it's silence, like just sitting there and sitting with them and knowing that you're there. Like I, 
like you said, I think that would have been head and toe, like above what I, what I, I didn't even attempt to do anything. It's just, you know, a, a text here and there, but like, that's kind of lame, you know? So. Did you have any sort of circumstance, whether it was with London or with Rio or going forward, um, where maybe someone had articulated that to you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had a few coaches along the way that just like, like acknowledgement of not acknowledgement, but just like an awareness around how my actions were being perceived by others. Now, I feel like I'm a very, I come across as one manner, like I'm very like stoic, I have this like external face, thank you, my dad. <laughs> and that it's not that I, I look angry, but, but I'm not. And I, I think that often is perceived in a manner that is not what is really like in my heart and how I actually feel. And so, but I think also my actions, like in practice, like I would sit at the end of the bench or, you know, like I, I'm very much a player that I don't really need a lot of noise around me. Like I just need to focus on what's happening and sometimes chatter, like talking off, like I'd rather focus on what the coach is talking about. And so I was often kind of on my own, but like, it wasn't because I didn't want to be around my teammates or didn't like them, you know? And so, but that awareness piece around, Hey, but what do you think your teammates think of you when you do that? Like had didn't even know, wasn't even aware. And so I'm just really grateful for that. And I think that sometimes individuals have uh, trouble opening themselves up to that level of self-awareness or even like having some inquisition around that because it can make us feel as though we're doing something wrong by being how we are. It doesn't necessarily even mean that you need to change a behavior pattern. It just means that you need to be cognizant of how something about you may be interpreted by others. Yep. Absolutely. A thousand percent. But I, yeah. but honestly, in my heart at the time, like I was like, I'm open to feedback. I'm, I want to hear those things. But I think most people even were intimidated to tell me those things, you know? And so to have someone to even sit down and like have the time to say, hey, like, whoa, I would have, I would have done something way different. Like, tell me, you know, like, I don't want to be, I want to be better, you know? Yeah. And I think it's like coming at those conversations with grace and like openness. I get so many messages from women. I mean, this makes me think about like female friendships, for example. And as you get older, especially a lot of the time, like our friendships, they ebb and flow and some can be based on proximity and others can be based on a mutual interest. And there are so many reasons that these relationships do that, they, that they do ebb and flow, but coming to terms with that can be like really difficult and mm -hmm. opening yourself up to feedback that you may be scared to get, um, is a really scary thing to do. It really is. It really is. I listened to a podcast how it was like really hard to like make friends in your thirties and forties because you're just like, like, yeah, like you said, ebb and flow, like, is it worth the time? You know, is if I, am I going to move? Like, is it based on, like, yeah, of proximity? Like, there's so many things and we're still trying to navigate, like, who we are as, as, you know, adults and what we want in a friend. And yeah, I think you said it, you said it perfectly. So let's talk. I mean, obviously you can't forget Rio, but I'm going to fast forward us here a little bit uh, to Tokyo. Nothing like you thought it would be, but everything and more question mark. Yeah. <laughs> That's a perfect, perfect, uh, stamp right there. Yeah. It's, um, I am ultimate. And I think our team can attest to this. If we, the Olympics were in 2020, how they were supposed to be, 
I don't think we walk away with the gold medal. Huh? Why? Uh, Our team was just in very different place. Um, We had some newcomers coming in, like our relationship with our staff, like wasn't, I wouldn't say it wasn't great, but it just, it wasn't where we feel like it needed to be. I think there was some turmoil on like who they selected and, and whatever. And so we just weren't in a great place. And so to have the pandemic and just shut down everything and basically we rebuild our culture. How do we want to talk to each other? How do we want to, you know, manage an issue? Or if we have a problem with the staff, how do we want to acknowledge it? And so having all those conversations have led to just something so much bigger than I could have ever dreamed about. So it's really something so special. What worked best in a time that everything felt like it wasn't supposed to be? That's a good question. I don't know if this answers it, but I was surprised by we would have meetings on Zoom and how vulnerable people were able to be even on a screen, you know, and how we were able to work through some things that were hard. Um, I think that really set us up for success. I don't know if that answers your question because no, I don't I mean, know if I fully articulate your question. No, it, it totally it totally answers the question. I think a lot of people kind of surprise themselves in the way they were able to open up with people that they didn't know so well over the last 16, 18 months. And that like, even within uh, my community, the hurdlers, as I call them, we started doing a lot of digital programming and to have the opportunity to bring together mostly women from all over the world of women calling, calling in from Hong Kong and Canada and like Costa Rica and to, uh, get together with strangers and like feel okay getting vulnerable is it's like really it's a really special thing because in that vulnerability like can come a lot of growth yeah for sure absolutely and I think that's what I think during the process people are like oh another meeting another you know like <laughs> especially as an athlete like you're just like they're tired right and you're just like want some time to just shut down but I think we could all say now that it was so worth it. And I think people bought into now like, hey, like having these talks like mean a lot and they pay off. And like you said, being vulnerable, like that's the only way you grow. And yeah. um, it's really special when you when you can do it as a team and find this cohesive unit. Um, and I don't know if you find it in some of your fr- like work relationships or whatever, but as a team, like sometimes you're not going to fully agree with the person next to you, you know, and you know, but ultimately there's this like mutual respect. Hey, I respect you for who you are and what you bring to the game. Um, and we're going to work together in whatever capacity that is for something that's much bigger than us. And if we can figure out how to drop our shit, excuse my language and be able to just move on and play together, then like, that's, that's the epitome. That's, that's where our success is, is really, really meant to be. For sure. So you've got to tell us what's it really like at the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> Especially this year. What's yeah, what this... Was it really like at the Olympics this year to be there, to be in the village, give us the lowdown. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I would say that I'm grateful that I have been able to experience <laughs> what, a what Olympics is with like fans and family there. Mm. And because it was just much different. Um, but it was, ultimately grateful that they were able to pull it off and uh that we got to participate and that it actually happened i think that's that was that was awesome but the 
I mean, the village is always cool. You're around other athletes that are at the highest of their, their sport. And we don't get to see that a lot, like everyday training. We're just volleyball only. And so seeing that is really cool and seeing and w- being able to watch other sports. We actually didn't get to go to any of the sports, which was weird. I'm like, we're all in the village together and we're far away at an event. Like, why can't we go watch? Like, it doesn't make sense. So, but we get watched on TV. And so there's just like this camaraderie, like with Team USA, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's something something indescribable and really cool what athlete were you the most starstruck to meet oh i don't know i would probably say like allison felix probably like she she was i know she was on our bus to um so what's really cool about the olympics is that usa has like a high performance training center so if most um delegations have their own performance their own training center because otherwise you're at the mercy of the olympic committee to like organize stuff for you and sometimes it's not on the time frame that you want so we're lucky that our delegation is so big that we have our own facilities so she was actually on the bus to go to the high performance training center with us but i mean we you know you just you want them to like have their space and like you know act like you're part you're like part of it i mean you i mean you are but it's like we're di- very different levels you know so you know we're all just like too scared but like but like look who is it who that is and yeah it was it was cool you know what's crazy though like if you for a second take a step out of your body and understand that you know you have uh, over a hundred thousand people that follow you on social media many of those like young women who look up to you and your journey and if they had the chance to be sat on a bus for a drive that takes too long and yeah. however long they would feel like the exact same way like what do you feel in these moments when you realize that you are also someone not only of influence but that has the opportunity now through your platform to inspire so many yeah for sure i it just makes me so much like so grateful. And, uh, I, I think it's, I, I think it's not funny because that's a, not a great word to describe it, but just like, I feel just so much like I'm just Jordan, you know, like I'm not Jordan Larson. I'm just like a normal person. And so like, I love having those conversations with people. Cause I just think, Hey, I was in, especially young girls. I'm like, I was in your shoes at one point, like there, if you have a dream, like go for it. Like, you just never know. And if you're willing to put in the time and the effort, like it could pay off. And if you, if you really work hard at it, like you could be sitting here today too. Like I never thought that I, at the capacity that I got, okay, I wanted those things, but gosh, to see where it's all come, like, there's no way I, (laughs) I couldn't have even dreamed about it. What was more intimidating walking out onto the floor for the gold medal match or walking out to throw out the first pitch of the Dodgers game? (laughs) Uh, I don't, I don't know if either, honestly, (laughs) I I think I'm like at the point in my career where I'm just like, whatever happens happens, you know, like if you do, you know, if you mess up, you mess up and it's like, is what it is. But I will tell you something that's kind of cool, not kind of cool, but just, I, I can't believe that I was kind of a mess before the gold medal match. I, I'm not an emotional person. I don't cry often. I'm, it takes a lot for me to get emotional. And I think I cried more 24 hours leading up to the gold medal match than I think I have in my entire career. I was staying in the shower. I think just crying. I, 
I look over at my teammate, Faluka, who has been my really good friend for all the years I've been on the national team, knowing that's my last to play with her, probably my last in the USA uniform. And I just were riding into the gym and I just, I, I lose it. And I'm like crying and Fluka's looking at me. She's like, what are you doing? We're about to go play this match. Like get your, get your stuff together. And I'm just like, what? I don't know what's happening to me. I have no idea. I just, I, I think the weight of it, the, I, I just, I couldn't keep it together. And it was, uh, it was so surreal. So so crazy to me because I'm just not that kind of person ever. <laughs> Do you think it's mostly just the culmination of, like we said, 22 years of volleyball? I mean, this was the one thing that you hadn't checked off yet. The gold medal was the thing that you had to check off on the Olympic stage. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then I think it was just like, I, I wanted it so bad, right? Like it was just like, oh, if I, if I could get that and like, Oh, and to feel how I was feeling going into the Olympics, like I didn't, I wasn't feeling super confident. I was doubting a lot of things. I was like, all these things, like, because I knew it was like, this is it. This is my last shot. And it has to be this way. And, you know, it has to be perfect. And to like, let go of that and like to actually be in a spot where I had a shot. It's like, whoa. <laughs> Why did you feel uh, like you were doubting yourself leading up to it? I. So the one thing in volleyball that I'm probably known most for is my ability to pass the ball and that my team was just serving me a lot. And I don't really see a lot of serves often. And I was not holding up very well. I was shanking. I was just not doing well for our team. And I was chosen to play and start for our team. And I was just like, man, I better get my stuff together because this can't show up at the Olympics. And so I was really just nervous for that I was nervous that I had to be this like perfect you know I have to kill every ball I have to do x y and z and it's just like I got I had to get out of that headspace but I like kept going into that headspace and I'm like why 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 is this happening um and so I just because I had really never felt that way before and um it was concerning to me a little bit 22 years of volleyball three olympics when you reflect on this time period, what would you say one of your greatest takeaways has been? Trust in the work that I have put in. I've done it every day. And I think that's where ultimately I settled going into Olympics. Like, Jordan, why are you doubting yourself? Like, you've done this every day of your life and to almost every day to the best of your ability. So, like, you're you're ready. You're ready for this moment. You're ready for this time. And and to know that with everything that I approach in life, like if I put in the time and dedication that I've done and dedicated to the sport, like it's going to be okay. And um, I'm just, just so grateful. Trusting in the training. I mean, that's something that I hear a lot as an avid runner and a marathoner. I mean, you go through, uh, in my case, three months plus of training to lead up to one day. In your case, I mean, months and years of training to get to this world stage. It's a lot of pressure on that final day. But I think uh, you and I can both agree that if you base the success of that entire journey on this one moment, then maybe you're not interpreting uh, the value of the journey as to what it really is. Very well said. I I think I had to also get to that point at this Olympics. Hey, if I don't perform as I want or how I feel like this should uh, the outcome should be, 
am I going to be okay? And the question is, the answer is yes. Like it's like you said, if you feel like you've done everything you can and you've prepared yourself and it doesn't turn out, out, it's a learning experience. You take something from it, you learn from it, you move on. And that's what it is. You said it to perfect example. Yeah, it's so interesting too, because in reflecting just now, it sounded very much like the lessons that you learned, uh, when you split from your ex-husband, right. Yeah. You had to get to a point where you weren't angry with yourself about maybe things not going, uh, the way that the storybook would go. Right. Yeah, uh, sure. and that's not easy. No, definitely not. Yeah, nobody and like nobody gets married hoping that they get divorced. Like no nobody wants that, right? right? Like it's not you know, and nobody puts in the time to want to be successful at what they do and fail, you know? Like nobody wants that. They want the Cinderella story, you know? And but sometimes it doesn't end up like that, but I still think there's lessons to be learned and things to get better at and and time to put in to make it worth it because it it really is. And um yeah. It really is. So I referenced before having over 100,000 people following you on social media. Let me correct myself. We're at 139,000 and growing. Right now, someone comes to your page. They see a newly married American volleyball player, a Nike athlete, a three-time Olympic medalist. You look in the mirror. What is it that you see looking back at you? Oh, wow. You, you asked such great questions. I, and I, I, I want to ask you questions. I, I love getting to know why, why <laughs> you, how you got... podcast. It's okay. okay. All right. Right. I, I see a young girl that just was willing to do whatever it took and trusted the process and trusted the work ethic and trusted those around her to be sitting in this chair today and, and to, to have a pretty cool journey. Something we didn't touch on yet is that you were the captain of the team. For you, beyond the title, what does that really mean? I think, like you said, to me, it was just always a, a title. Like I, I always try to be really authentic to who I was, and I, I think the the older I got in my career, I had to learn to be more of a vocal leader. I, I think in the past, I was always more of a a, a leader by action. My work ethic, how I showed up to the gym, how I got after in practice, how I did X, Y, and Z. But as I've gotten older, I've had to learn of how do I uh, get to know my teammates and understand what makes them the best version of themselves, and how can I adapt to them to make to get the best out of them, and and that's getting to know them off the court and um, building that that part of it. And so I, I I've really tried to expand that that captainship and that leadership role. Um, but ultimately, like you said, it is just a title. Um, but I've just tried to be authentic to who I am. It's so interesting because I'm about to do something that I've never done because you expressed interest in doing this. So I'm going to allow you the opportunity to ask me a question. But in doing this, I also understand that you've been kind of like flying by the seat of your pants, answering all my questions for the last hour or so. I feel like there's a lot of pressure with me handing you like your own microphone. So (laughs) I'm going to just, I'm going to take a seat back for a second and I'm going to let you ask me something. I I think that's sometimes where I not struggle with podcasts because I love them and I think they're so great and I I love having the con but I think it should be more of a conversation right yeah. and, it, and it is but like why why are you getting into this space of being a podcast and why why do you want to continue to to kind of navigate through this space and what got you you to this point 
like okay well this would be a whole other 60 minute episode yeah great Uh, (laughs) for more context jordan i'll send you episode one of the show but what i will say is you asked me like why do i keep going so to speak and i think that as someone who has made it her mission to like help people in community and empower them on their journeys to feel less alone, I keep going uh, because I know what it feels like to feel alone. I back in college had my own fair share of struggles and felt really lonely on my journey to learning who I was. I weighed a lot more at the time and felt really just beside myself because I didn't feel at home in my body. And so for me to now be in a place where I've defined what healthy looks like for me, and that includes pizza Friday, and it also includes running marathons when I'm off the injured list. Uh, I, I know that, um, the power in that, and I know how great it is, uh, to get to a place where you feel confident in knowing what balance looks like for you. And I know that I have the opportunity through these conversations with women like yourself, uh, to help people figure out how to do that, how to do that too. And so, uh, I, I take a lot of joy in that. And I take a lot of pride in that. And I think about the things that I like to do most in my life. And I'm so lucky beyond lucky and so grateful that, uh, having these conversations is something that I can do for work too. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And like, I think you asked me a couple of times, what, what got me out of that space and what do you feel like has gotten you the most out of that space? And like, to get you to, like you said, to this point, like, is it journaling? Is it like, how, how did you navigate yeah, that? I think, uh, something that I have done, but maybe have gotten even better at doing is in my journey of independence and coming into my own and feeling really confident by myself, I've also learned the importance of asking for help. And I think so many of us feel as though maybe we're doing something wrong when we look for outside guidance, or we feel as though we're messing up when you reach out to a friend and you're like, Hey, I kind of need you right now because so many of us don't want to feel like it's an inconvenience. Right. And so for me, what helps me on my mission to help other people is being okay with asking for help and knowing that that doesn't make me any lesser than, and that doesn't mean that I'm not okay on my own. It just means that like I need support. And the fact is, is that we all need support. I mean, of course, the things that we mentioned, like journaling, journaling is a huge tool for me, but sometimes you just need a little bit more and it's okay to need more. It's okay to want more and to remove that judgment from that space. Like it changes absolutely everything. Uh, I did want to ask you before I ask you the final question you mentioned, uh, right now navigating a little bit of an Achilles situation. Can you talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, kind of when I came, started this summer, I was just having like a little bit of Achilles pain. Like I didn't know what it was. Like I thought it was tape cause I tape my ankles every day, but it just wasn't going away. And so we had to like change my taping and then I still was having some issues and started on some anti-inflammatories and that seemed to help. But, um, I still, I kind of have a bump on the back of my Achilles. I'm not sure what it's from, but every time I go to like really extend or push off of it, it it's just super tender. So, um, I met with a trainer and she's like, eh, knowing your age and just kind of, I was like my age, I'm like, God, I'm so young. No, uh, no, no. Uh, so I just, I actually got an MRI yesterday just to make sure that 
we have the proper treatment plan and, and kind of that in place, but I don't know the results yet. So I'm, I'm waiting on that. I know, I know anticipation, but, um, oh my God, you'll have to on, fill me in. Honestly, I think it's just like wear and tear over time. Yeah. Like I think just, yeah, jumping <sighs> a lot and you know, it oh happens, my God. So. The body is like such a thing. It's such a beautiful thing. It can also be such like a scary thing. We want all of the answers. We have none of the answers. I get it. I sympathize. Yeah. yeah all right. No. All right. Last question here. Okay. Right now, you have an opportunity to offer the Jordan going through her divorce, trying to navigate living somewhere unfamiliar, a piece of advice looking back on that hurdle moment right now. What do you tell her? Piece of advice. Um, I I think just continuing to stay I keep saying that present, like, like as much as like wake up in the morning, enjoy breakfast, enjoy lunch, enjoy coffee in the afternoon. Like you said, asking for help, um, just being okay and almost sitting in it. Like I, that's, that phrase sounds so weird, but like sitting in those feelings and like unpacked what's really going on, uh, because that's when you're going to get to the root of it. Um, but I think it, it takes time and it's not going to happen overnight. And, um, but knowing on the other end of it again, like it's going to all work out. I love that. Two, yeah. two things that someone said to me once, one was be where your feet are. And the second thing that I always think about when I feel like I'm getting a little worked up and I'm having trouble staying in the moment is come back to calm. Amen. I always, yeah. I always, always, always try to come back to calm. Jordan, thank you so much for your time and your takeaways. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Uh, give us all the details. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah. My Instagram handle is gov1007 random. Uh, Where does that come from? Yeah. <laughs> so my nickname is called the governor. Uh, because my best friend Faluka, uh, we were in Thailand. This is kind of a long story. In Thailand, <laughs> there's a Nebraska fan there. She's like, the guy's like, I know your dad. And Faluka's like, seriously? And there are Husker fans everywhere. And so she told her brother, and her brother's like, yeah, I mean, she's like the governor. So then I said it as a joke, and now it's just become a thing. So that's become part of the brand. So that they call me Gov, um, and then that's kind of the rest of history. Uh, and then I am on Facebook still. I don't think Facebook's a thing much anymore. Uh, and then I have Twitter as well. Jordan Larson 10 is my Twitter handle. So love it. I'm over at Emily body and at hurdle podcast, another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.